Okay. Podcast. This is podcast number three. So this is end of March. So I would say we just start it as April's podcast since we're at the end of the month. There's no point calling it March. So let's start afresh with the April podcast. Now, in the last podcast, the February podcast, we spoke about having a guest coming in, um, which was to be Yoon Simpson, to discuss the 18th edition of the the electrical regulations. So let's do the introductions. I'm Steve McCann, Managing Director of Persis. I'm here with... Yoon Simpson, the electrician from Pratt Brothers. Sean? It's uh, Sean Stevenson, uh, trainer and consultant for Persis. I'm Mateo Shabwan, health and safety advisor for Persis. Fantastic. So slightly different format this time because we're all under lockdown for, I can't remember the reason, it's not <coughs> or anything, is it? This um, COVID coronavirus, this is, uh, has been non-stop, so I'm sure we're all sick of hearing it. Um, we'll try not to mention it too much, but obviously we're going to have to discuss it. Uh, but let's see if we can try and have a, 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 a relatively COVID-free discussion on some of the other topics. What's been going on in Persis this month? Nothing. We've been in lockdown. So that's that no COVID discussion thing completely out the window. Um, client news? Nothing. They've all been on lockdown. I see a theme here, guys. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see any way out of this. Developments. Anyway, right, let's just go straight to the newsletter. Uh, have a quick chat about... Uh, no, we do have a few developments. We had some courses which have achieved our CPD accreditation with Kosh, uh, the Kosh course, which was confirmed this morning as having achieved the CPD Standard. So anyone that does our, our cost training course ends up with a CPD certificate. A lot of our online courses have the CPD. Um, and we put, or Zishan put out an alert yesterday that we're offering free courses for everybody that's stuck indoors. Uh, this week, it's the environmental awareness course. So anybody wants it, they simply send an email, click on the link, whatever it is, and they get a free course, free training course. We'll try and offer one every couple of weeks for as long as we can. Uh, and it, uh, as long as this goes, it could be we run, run out of time. It could be we run out of courses. It could be we run, run out of money. That's a very real problem that we're all going to face. So, guys, let's uh, go to the newsletter. Let's start off with, let's start off with Matt. You had a, a newsletter article. What newsletter article is it you want to? Yes, I had an article from the Construction Index, so kind of gives an uh, gives detail of the financial support for businesses that's offered from the from the government. So if you go into the link, there's there's a breakdown of uh, of everything that's available and how to apply for it. Uh, in the comments section, which you will see once the newsletter comes out, there's a link to the to the government website, which is updated daily. So that gives you a bit more, uh, a bit more detail. You can actually go and apply for some stuff on there as well. Okay. So if you find yourself in struggle, there's things like cash grants, uh, time to pay tax service, income, income tax deferral. So I'm sure there'll be, there may be something of no. value in that article. Maybe it's just me, and uh, I don't know what you guys think of it, but I personally think that the government needs to give much clearer guidance in relation to the construction industry over COVID. Down in, down in England, especially in Scotland, we've had our First Minister and Wales and Ireland, I believe, have been the same, where their First Ministers have essentially put a stop to the construction work. But Michael Gove had said it's okay for major construction works to continue. I don't quite understand how this can be the case? How can they keep their two-meter rule? How can they get to work without giving them individual vans? How can they make sure that there's no cross-contamination from keeping this clean? Or even how construction can be considered essential at a time, time like this? 
yeah, some construction sites, I suppose, could be essential. Um, demolition sites, for example, if they're making the building safe. Construction sites where they're finishing things or maintenance works, you know, if there's, there's a major issue. But just new building stuff, I, I can't see how that's essential. You know, every, everybody should be in their houses. Unless they're building hospitals or building places for the homeless or those in need, I don't see anything else can be really considered essential. I think it's not just an issue with construction sites as well. I mean, there's manufacturing, warehousing. Basically, at first, everybody got the idea that only key workers would be um, going to work. But it, then, then it's basically come out that if, if, if you can't work from home, then you must go to work. Um, that is not just key workers, that's, that's, that's everybody, it's, unless you work in a shop yeah. uh, of some kind and it's not a supermarket. An essential service shop. And be, Being a demolition engineer, I was trying to work from home this morning, but Edo went mental. You know, I just took, took a wall down, started stripping up the kitchen. Apparently, I'm not allowed to work from home. <laughs> uh, I think... Uh, well, sorry, I don't think. Build UK released guidance. Um, I, I wrote a blog about it this morning to send over to Zishan to get put out. Uh, Build UK put guidance on standard operating procedures for guys that are still working. I think if anybody wants to go into the, the blog and have a look at that, I think it's important. But also, when we go back to work, as I put in the, the, the blog, once this lockdown's finished, there's going to be still a huge amount of cross-contamination. People are still going to have the virus lingering in their systems. So I think every company should at least consider putting in some type of standard operating procedure for, for this. And this could be the middle of next year. So, yeah, Like a return to work kind of thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Would it? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> The um, I was just thinking there's uh, a point on the online courses what you were on about uh, just discussing earlier. Um, I think we should make it clear if if someone does want access to them, exactly who should they email, uh, and exactly what CPD is because I'm not sure if some some of those listeners might not know exactly what the what you mean by CPD accreditation. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good point. To clarify, CPD stands for Continual Professional Development. It's a third-party certification, which means that you can claim for CPD in most professional industries. I'm not really sure of exactly all of them, but I know that medical professionals, for example, need to, be, need to follow CPD. Demolition engineers need to follow CPD. Members of IOSH, the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health, need to follow it. So it means that these guys will be able to claim, in many cases, at least core hours. I know that the demolition engineers don't consider CPD to be core hours. You have to do an IDE uh, course or more, more likely attend an IDE seminar. Uh, but you can claim CPD certified in most courses as non-core for non-core hours. So, yeah, most professional people are able to use it. If not, you know, like, like we said, they're free. So if you just want to stay sharp, do something that's interesting, no cost. You've got a lot a lot of downtime. There's only so much Emmerdale Farm you can watch. <laughs> Big Brother. So maybe you should consider jumping on a free course. Uh, I think we'll maybe do next week or the following week, Sean, you did one on Stanley Knife Awareness, I think, or Sharps. Maybe release that one next. Yeah, well, there's actually there's there's a salmon knife awareness one to come out, and there's the sharps. Sharps is a separate one, which is mainly focused around needle needle sticks, needle stick injuries. Which... Well, but, yeah, I think we'll release one, or you know, uh, we'll have a chat about this off offline, figure out what it is. But I think you know, just just to keep everyone sharp, see what we can do, see if we can release something. Okay. Anyone else have anything to add on on the uh, government thing? The yeah. best to email is it to email you as well, sorry, Steve, Stephen at Persis. Stephen at Persis or Zishan at Persis. Probably Zishan. Um, 
fact, if you forward on to me, I'll only forward on Azishan anyway. I am not the most IT savvy guy in the world. I'm not even the most IT savvy person on this podcast right now. And that, that says a lot, considering who I've got here on his podcast. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I think probably send it to Zishan. Okay. Um, newsletter article that you sent in, Sean. Um, yeah. I'm, um, you want to discuss the North oil, correct? Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, so there was, um, was actually one that Neil sent in which is actually better than mine, to be honest. Um, so I'm going to discuss that one. Uh, and it's, it's discussing how the um, North Sea Oil Company, uh, based in Scotland, is accused of sending off oil rigs to India to be decommissioned, which is, according to this article at least, illegal, um, under British and international law. And uh, GMS, specifically, is the company that has been accused of doing it. And they've been, yeah, they've basically been sending them off to India for obvious reasons. Uh, the rather than having to pay what guys would get over here doing that kind of work between eleven and fifteen pounds an hour, they're paying thirty-five pence an hour. And operating no real green recycling policy whatsoever. In fact, the, the, the place where they're supposed to be sending it to, which is a, called, I just find it, it's, there's shipbreaking yards, India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. And the place is, I'm trying to find a specific name of that, that one. Anyway, the, um, yeah, the, the, the place has just been, They've sent round drones and seen that the entire site is just littered with not toxic and non-toxic waste. Uh, obviously not very safe working procedures. There is reports of up to 150 deaths there over in previous years. So, yeah, it's not, not a very good thing for this company, uh, GMS. And uh, apparently the Scottish Environmental Protection Agency have got involved and prevented it anymore from being sent off to this Har Haryana shipbreaking yard. It's not us. I was sent a link on BBC iPlayer. I'm going to see if I can pick this up right now while we're, we're talking. From Alan Locke of EKL Assessments, and it was very much in the same thing. Um, I think it was called a deadly trade. Um and it was a, a, a docu yeah, the documentary disclosure. Is the North Sea oil industry complicit in exploiting workers in India? 29 minutes long, um, available for the next 11 months. Um, I don't know if we're allowed to say that in a podcast. I don't see why we can't. Uh, but yeah, it's very much about the same thing. Um, exploitation of, of um, third world countries um, from the North Sea oil industry. So... Yeah, but then again, so there's no reason for them to be sending to to underdeveloped countries unless they're trying to support them correctly, which clearly they're not doing. Yeah, you can just see as well when you do go to these rail uh, decommissioning sites where they actually put money into the, the rail money to make it safe and environmentally friendly that it is, it's not it, it's not cheap. You know, it does, they have to do have to put a lot of money into it so you can see. Where the incentive is, well, it's from a moral standpoint, which is what we're supposed, you know, we're supposed to be in a civilized country, and um, it's the moral question that is the the big issue. Yeah, uh, it's. I think um, anybody putting profit over morality needs to take a good hard look in the mirror. But are we not seeing that right now? That's true. Yeah, yeah. it's. Uh, we can all sit here and say it's not the right thing to do. How many other people would do the right thing when faced with the same circumstance? Our, our own political leaders are not doing it. You know, mm -hmm. playing. Um, somebody texted me yesterday saying that they're playing chess with the economy. And I replied with, they're playing chess with the economy now. Shortly they realize they've been playing Russian roulette with people's lives. 
That's and unfortunately, true. the gambling chips are they're using the economy. Why, why did Trump put two trillion into the economy, which is going to artificially float it and not take that two trillion and put it into the people's pockets of those who can't afford to work now? Why, why are we going to keep doing this? Yes. Um, the, yeah, employment, the unemployment rate has jumped massively in America. There's, yeah. there's, there's a video of kind of over the years kind of spiking up. And as of recently, it just shoot right up. Americans have very different employment laws from us. You know, they can just simply walk into a room and go, you're fired. And that's that. Yeah. Um, you know, they can fire somebody because they don't like how someone looks. They can't do that here or they shouldn't be able to do that here because we have employment law. Um, America's very different. So once it hits America and it's hitting it hard now, people will just be laid off. We're here. <clears throat> People are going to be stuck in the house with the employer paying the, their wages and then claiming it back off the government. Yeah. Anyway, that's us back into COVID territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think everything that you come up with, I mean, help, we're talking health and safety at every point when you talk of negligence or morality or anything, it's going to be, we're really going to be able to tie it back to this whole crisis one way or another. Well, I suppose it can be argued that COVID is the health section of health and safety. Yes. So every time we discuss it, but I, for me, it's not that it's not important. It's I just think people are going to be sick of it. That's all we're hearing. Mm -hmm. And I may be wrong. People may be wanting to listen to it. Um, but I think yeah. there needs to be a line drawn of how much saturation we have on, on the same subject. Um, anyway, let's... Uh, is there any anything anyone else wants to add on the North Sea oil stuff that Neil sent in? Mm, no, I don't have anything to add. But I think what I'd like to add to the, to the COVID, since we <laughs> still kind of add add the topic, the, the thank you to the NHS, and I think the the round of applause at eight last night was a a, a really good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, people now start to see how important these people are, yeah. and you know, don't give them abuse when they're stuck in accident emergency. Yeah, um, actually, maybe, maybe these guys will get a, yeah, maybe these guys have got a pay rise too. You know, they were just last year, the year before, they were complaining they don't get paid enough. Um, it's amazing how quickly the government found the money when their hand was forced, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were they were all. I mean, it's not wasn't that long ago they were all uh, on strike. Yeah, exactly. Junior doctors and nurses because of the changing of the contracts that the government was bringing in, and uh, and the media, certain media outlets, wouldn't know many of them were definitely demonising nurses and doctors and and accusing them of putting patients at risk, which I imagine is the last thing uh, nurses and doctors want to do. That's the reason they got into the job. They definitely didn't. Nurses, at least, definitely didn't get into it for the money. Um, and, yeah, it's funny how they, change the, they, they can change the tune. Yeah. The, these same news outlets, or let's just call them rags, <laughs> the same ones now, they'll be calling these people heroes. Yeah, you're right. Quickly, how, how quickly they change their tune when they're selling newspapers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. UFK had a very good speech about that. I um, won't go into it at the minute. Uh, I want to change the subject a little bit, but he he did note on the the way newspaper people report the news. Yeah. One thing I will say about the coronavirus is there's the IR35 uh, tax claims which the government is pushing through. That's been suspended, which is fantastic. So the, for those that aren't aware, it was very simplistically where the employers were having to hold or, or companies or clients, whatever it was, were having to hold certain amounts of tax and pay that directly to the tax man. So you basically became a tax collector for VAT as, as a relatively simplistic way to put it. And that's now being delayed because of this COVID-19 thing, which I personally think is great. Uh, I think it's a headache. We spoke about the red diesel in the last podcast as well, as yeah. far as I can remember. But I don't think that'll, that'll be going ahead either, isn't it? Well, I, I hope not. Um, not because I don't think the 
the environment's uh, a, a worthy cause or anything, I think there's been too much stress put on employers and businesses and pushing all this through is just going to add to that stress. There'll be an awful lot of companies going bankrupt and a lot of people in financial difficulty because of this. So I think all, any stress that the government or contractors or clients or whomever, banks, etc., can take away from people, I think is only going to be for the benefit of everyone. Yeah. I think um, I was just thinking with the all environmental impacts, we were talking about the things like the oil rigs. I think a lot of quest companies may be questioning sustainability-wise whether a lot of the journeys that they make are actually necessary. Think about the diesel and the petrol that gets burnt. Um, and we all know that through control measures, the best way to one of the best ways to uh, control something is to avoid uh, to control the risk from something is to avoid it avoid it altogether. And many of these journeys now, I think questions are going to be people are going to be asking: Are these journeys necessary? Do we need to you know, do people need to be driving for an hour every day, sat in the traffic with their engines running, um, when a lot of the work can be achieved from the from their own homes? So it'd be interesting to see once once this is all over what what kind of changes businesses will be making, and and what what kind of you know what kind of impact that will have. I heard already that in China apparently the pollution rates dropped massively when they kept everybody in the homes because the factories were no longer going, and uh, and the, there was one report that I, I'm not sure how true it is, but they were, they believed that there may have been more lives saved from the lack of pollution than. The amount of lives that were lost to coronavirus, which I'm not 100% if that's true, but that that, that is uh, that would be interesting if that's the case. I think that's probably true, um, but I don't think there'll be any real studies done on that yet. Um, but yeah, you can, you can clearly see uh, through f some photographs that there there's major cleanups so the environment started to clean itself up but that being said it's social media you can't believe everything on social media um you see i think i had some radio far did you see the pictures of the dolphins returning to to uh to venice which is known to have been photoshopped yeah, where, where the fish returning to Venice would be the most important thing because the fish breathe through the water, and that's a, a better demonstration, in my opinion, that the pollutants are gone than a dolphin which breathes air. If the dolphins are there, which apparently they're not, they're there to eat the fish, not yeah. not because they can swim in the canal. So the fish returning would be the biggest story because they're the ones breathing through the contaminated waters. Well, of course, dolphins are way more exciting. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Just <laughs> that's why that gets pushed through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, I, I found. I don't know if you've seen. Uh, there were talk, a lot of talk about electric cars, and I mean, personally, I think this target of that we've heard from the government of getting rid of all petrol and diesel cars by twenty was it twenty thirty, twenty thirty five, mm -hmm. and um, it just seemed. I think it's twenty thirty to be honest. That's the next ten years get rid of millions of petrol and diesel cars and replace them all with electric cars, which to me just seems completely unrealistic. And the, 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 um, the batteries, what they were saying, they will be making with lithium are cobalt. And one of the main places to mine cobalt is from the seabed. And the issue that they're designing is that, oh, you know, we will be saving the air Really, only in Britain and maybe and maybe other countries with the same kind of targets, but at the same to to achieve that, we're destroying the seabed and polluting the ocean. So, um, whether that seems necessary or even you know uh, sensible, is is not all of a question. You and you were going to say something there. I know. Just recently, I was um, I was talking to someone about uh, electric cars, and obviously, because car charging and stuffs starting to become a huge part of you know our business and what we do and whatnot. And um, and it's not only the fact that I mean I don't really know much about the mining side of you know how the batteries are made and whatnot, but I do know that um, like the national grid, 
as it is, as it stands, I mean, it, it, I mean, it can't physically cope with that rapid, you know, a change in sort of legislation. You know, it, it can't cope with that many cars charging at once. I mean, there's a huge amount of infrastructure work that would need to be done just so that the, you know, the national grid itself could support, you know, the amount of car charging they, they sort of require. I mean, if you just changed it all in that sort of short period of time, it's completely unfeasible for um, us to essentially rebuild a, you know, an electrical grid to support it. I, I suppose you also need to consider how much money we'd lose through taxation. Absolutely, yeah. How many jobs we'd lose. It's an entire industry going away. On... I mean, it's not that it could create a huge amount of jobs, and, you know, sort of, if they did, if there was a massive influx, so, you know, I don't know, budget put in towards it or whatnot, but um, as things stand at the moment, you know, the, the grid itself couldn't support that rapid a change, if you know what I mean, or that much electricity being used at once, because, I mean, it is a huge amount of electricity getting used, you know, just in car charging. It's unbelievable. Is there anything on this in the 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 new 18th edition? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a complete section on it, car charging and whatnot. I mean, I wasn't going to talk about that. I was going to talk about the main part. Well, it's too late now, but I mean, I mean, obviously the reason I came on the podcast was because I, I just recently done the 18th edition updates and um, I just wanted to pick out a few of the main parts that kind of just interested me more than anything um, and obviously relate towards, you know, like obviously you do a lot of sort of risk assessments on fire inherency and stuff, you know, so I've obviously I picked out sort of two items that I kind of thought well, they'll be quite good to talk about. And AFDDs, which is arc fault detection devices, which um, obviously they protect against, you know, transient overvoltages, which is, um, you know, like lightning strikes and whatnot. And, no, sorry, I, it's SPDs. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting carried away with myself. But, uh, yeah, SPDs they um, protect against transient overvoltage, which is obviously like lightning strikes and such. You know, so anything that's like interrupting the the electrical system, obviously putting surges on pieces of equipment and whatnot. Um, I think the most interesting part of it is, is that they're becoming a domestic. They're like they're getting installed domestically now, and I mean I've installed them for years. As a commercial, you know, sort of over voltage protection, but um, ah, it's just it's becoming a more domestic thing now. It's almost a compulsory sort of thing to install. Now, is this the arc detection device that you spoke to me about the other day? It was a Siemens kind of block. Yeah. Uh, what's the difference between that? Um, what's the trip thing that, that I have? Obviously, I'm the most yeah. gifted electrician yeah. you've ever heard, hence the reason that. <laughs> um, I tell you what, I'm not nervous about this podcast. I feel like that at the moment. I, <laughs> 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 uh, in your house, like in sort of normal domestic properties, you have the um, MCDs, which is a miniature circuit breaker. Um, MCD. What does that sound? Miniature circuit breaker. Miniature circuit breaker, and you'll obviously you'll have an RCD protection as well, which is a residual current device. Okay. And uh, obviously, I've done a wee bit more sort of digging into AFDDs, um, and I just noticed that Crabtree do an AFDD which provides MCD protection, RCD protection, and arc fault protection. And uh, obviously, the new thing speaking about arc fault, arc fault is you know obviously. If there was any breaks, crushes, or you know, slight sort of loose connections and, and accessories and whatnot, creating sparks and stuff, uh, which obviously, I mean, these arc fault detection devices, they'll basically prevent you know a fire from occurring from obviously time you know with time and stuff arc and heat build up and whatnot, they'll essentially foresee that trip. And then they will not reset until that uh, fault has been, you know, rectified. Uh, so, I mean, they're an incredible piece of kit. Like, I mean, obviously, they're, they're expensive. Does it tell you where the the fault is? Or no, it can't, it can't tell you exactly where the fault is. But, I mean, obviously, you're doing it on each individual circuit. So, 
what it can tell you is on, you know, essentially your your downstairs sockets. It'll tell you, you know, you've got a, an arc fault somewhere on your downstairs sockets, which obviously is going to be a nightmare to locate. You know, but I mean, at the same time, it's preventing your house from going on fire eventually. You know what I mean? And I think last year alone, I mean, I obviously I looked up some statistics and stuff. There was over thirteen thousand fires in Britain relating to art faults. Wow. Um, so I mean, it's a it's a good piece of kit, and I mean, if it's going to prevent thirteen, you know, I mean, obviously. Over time, these will start becoming a more installed piece of kit. Because um, at the moment, I don't, it's not completely mandatory to have AFDDs installed. But, I mean, it's it's an option, which, I mean, I, I can't oversee now. I think it's an incredible piece of kit. I mean, and if you just imagine if they were doing that in every property, you, you're sort of, you're doing away with, you know, a whole, whole heap of problems, you know what I mean? Where, obviously, fires and stuff. Caused by art folks. It could be. It could be that it becomes a mandatory. Uh, I think. I mean. I think it will. Obviously, it's, it's a new. It's a new thing. Yeah. Um, it's really expensive to be installed, but I mean, I think over time, it's going to become mandatory. Like you know, like RCDs are mandatory. I mean, I remember when residual current devices came out. It was exactly the same process that we're going through now with the AFDs. And SPDs are mandatory after a risk assessment and whatnot, but um, it is over time, I think it's going to become a mandatory piece of kit that's going to have to be installed. Well, the, the government uh, has just introduced a new fire safety bill. Um, a couple of days ago, it was. Um, obviously, we, we won't hear about it. There's, there's something else that's on the news quite a lot at the minute, kind of overshadowing everything. But the government has released a new uh, bill that it, it may, I don't know if it's going to add on to or uh, amend the regulatory reform, the fire safety order. Uh, but that's all because of the Grenfell Tower inquiry. All right. The, the building's building safety uh, uh, thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not 100%. Yeah, that was the Grenfell Tower, was, that was an electrical fault, was it not? It was. It started it, yeah. And uh, I'm not sure, was it, not like a, was it not like a refrigerator or something? Yes, yeah, yeah. The refrigerator that caught fire, yeah. So there, it obviously, was the fact that the, the but from fire safety point of view, tower blocks would usually be protected per flat. Yes. And yeah. um, the problem is your flat sets on fire, but everybody else is protected. But the problem is when you're surrounded by flammable cladding, as soon as that fire gets out of yeah. the flat onto the cladding, then it spreads to everybody's flat. And um, I believe that's also why the idea yeah, is... That, that itself, I mean, I, was, I, read, I read a wee thing this morning about um, AFDDs, and they are going to become a compulsory thing in, like, sort of, you know, dwellings with, you know, like, flats... Um, Obviously, anywhere with um, combustible materials like cladding. I mean, so I mean, essentially, these pieces of kit have been pushed. I think now because of the Grenfell fire. I mean, I'm not. I'm. I just think such a catastrophe like that has really forced them into sort of have to rethink certain things, obviously, and take domestic like electrical systems a bit more serious. You know. Always a thing, though, isn't it? Somebody gets hurt. There's a knee-jerk reaction to improve yeah. it. You know, absolutely. people people don't do anything until they're absolutely forced. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's, it's only when we realise that what well, the things we're putting in place aren't working because there's a major issue that yeah. these things go over overhauled. Uh, so there was another item that you wanted to talk about on the. Ah, sorry, I, I got a bit excited there. Kind of, <laughs> you're, passionate, you're passionate about it. I, no, I just, I, I obviously, I start tongue twisting myself and stuff, and I get going about things. But um, yeah, um, it, was, it was surge protection that I wanted to talk about. Um, and what's that? SPD surge protection. That's sorry, that's what I kind of mixed into the SPD earlier when I was talking. 
uh, surge protection is the uh, protection against transient overflow, which is um, obviously caused by like lightning strikes and such. And um, they're to be installed, obviously, after a risk assessment into the sort of well, there's a great part in the actual 18th edition, uh, which is looks like a map of Britain, and it uh, essentially shows you like you know like sort of areas of high like you know lightning strikes, and uh, I mean it's so interesting, you know like you know trying to figure out where you know it is most important to install these things, and uh, obviously we started installing them in, in all properties that we do at the moment. Um, obviously we um, we're a commercial company more, but. Um, if we're doing anything domestic, like we started installing, you know, singular surge protection devices in the circuit, um, or sorry, at the mains, um, but that that's became a mandatory thing. The surge protection. It, it, that's mandatory. Yeah. In the edition now. Is that yeah. for domestic or only for commercial? For domestic and, and commercial. Um, so yeah, no, it's quick. Sorry, I've got to get off there. Um, uh, I mean, it's obviously it's, it's required um, where like a, an install would um, be like in a high risk area, like I say. Um, we've started installing them. Uh, the thing I get in the most sort of hassle from is like a lot of other electricians and stuff are like, you know, pouring up and at the moment going like what the hell are these things and what like what's the point and actually and i think it's i mean it's quite self-explanatory i mean it's it's, it's like an obvious oh, um, yeah totally self-explanatory i mean i'm sitting here thinking why doesn't everyone know what what they are <laughs> i mean for electricians sorry for electricians i think i mean i think it's quite an obvious thing you know what i mean you're preventing you know like damage to electrical equipment, you're preventing interruption of, you know, sort of interruption to your electrical system. Um, and I think, obviously, I mean, in the long run, it'll cut off. You cut off again. I think it's not on mute, mate. <laughs> you there, pal? I'm here, I'm here. But maybe it's your signal, it's... it's... Cutting you off and on. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's all I really want to talk about was SPDs and ASPDs. So, with this surge protection, if we had a blackout for any kind of reason, it would be is that the similar kind of? Yes, yeah, essentially, the piece of kit will, I mean, it'll trip out and it'll prevent any um, over voltage passing from the sort of main electrical sort of grid into your house. So I mean, obviously, like that—that that then sort of saves all your equipment and stuff in the house from being, you know, damaged from overvoltage, reducing the severity. Of yeah, you're, you're totally reducing the sort of risk of damage to any piece of sort of sensitive equipment and whatnot. Yeah, so it's definitely, definitely, yeah, um, important. Which obviously, prevents, which obviously prevents, you know, fires and stuff, you know, being yeah. caused by a, a massive overvoltage in the piece. Of equipment or whatnot like having a fuse for your house essentially it's, it's like having a fuse against you know like a lightning strike. yeah what would be a price of something like that just for, from the top of your head uh, top of my head just uh, on on average i know there's, there's probably different ones but uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not really sure. Um, I'll, I'll, I mean, you can obviously look it up just now. Um, the Schneider Electrical Surge Arrestor, because I looked it up earlier on, is £327. Yeah. Demon's one that we spoke about last time, Ewan, is 161 Yeah. And, and um, the types. there's various different types, like Wilex will do one, um, MK do one, I'm sure. Um, Hager do them, and they're obviously they're more domestic. That that's pieces of kit that are more likely to be used in a domestic property. Hmm. Um, considering you can protect your house from going on fire for three hundred and yeah. pounds, I think but, I, mean, I think that's a good deal. Same with the FDDs. I think you know what I mean. You can prevent 
sort of like huge problems from you know just spending a few hundred extra quid and then you know saves you a huge amount of expenditure in the long run. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, but the, but then again, we we all know that when it comes down to money, some people will just ignore it and they won't, yeah. they won't do what they're meant to do. Um, I mean, I think that's the hardest thing is that I think a lot of people think that, you know, when an electrician recommends a piece of equipment like this, they're recommending it to line their own pocket. You know what I mean? But it, it's actually not the case. You know what I mean? They're doing it, you know, we do it to sort of prevent us from having to deal with, you know, a huge problem or a huge investigation into us. You know, did, yeah. you, did you do this installation properly? You know, and when these things are obviously optional and whatnot, or it's you're trying to convince someone to spend 300 quid, you know, on the you know extra on top of maybe I don't know four four or five hundred quid, that they don't see the benefit of. You're like, right, so why am I nearly spending a thousand pound now on this fuse board upgrade? And it's like, well, you you know, it's it's quite hard to obviously explain this to you know someone that's you know is trying to sort of save money or whatnot, or you know doesn't really see it as an issue even for you know we have to deal with this every day of our life you know as electricians we have to sort of you know we, we think about these risks and problems and you know fires and i mean there's you know i mean you're constantly is on your mind and it's just basically it's like giving yourself a peace of mind you know when you leave an install that it's going to be protected from you know surges it's going to be protected from arcs art faults and residual current devices you know it's it's you're kind of like, I don't know, giving yourself peace of mind, leaving a, you know, a sort of a job, essentially. Well, now that it's mandatory, I'm sure the insurance guys will jump on that. Yeah. It'll become an issue that we'll just not, they'll just not avoid insurance if it's not installed, if it's not mandatory. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, definitely, definitely. So does that play into hardwire testing on, on a five-yearly cycle? So you've got to, commercial properties have to have the hardwire testing done every five years. Does that mean you'll need to flag that up that that needs installed? And yeah, that yeah, yeah. Obviously, you'd flag that up if it needs installed. But I mean, it, it's obviously to do when you do sort of hardware testing, you're only testing on the regulations that were in place when that install was done. So just like you know, a ten-year install, you sort of you're taking into consideration the fact that it was done to the regulations that were there ten years ago. Obviously, we recommend. You know these upgrades to sort of bring you in line with the new, obviously regulations. Yeah. But I mean, you're kind of restricted in the sense that you can't go. This is, you know, you need to do this. I mean, if it was fine when the install was originally done, then it still sort of stands as fine. We we put that down as a recommendation then. Um. But I mean, it's still. I mean, you, you kind of like ideally, you kind of want, you kind of cover your own back by sort of saying. You know, we've recommended this. If you've done it, you know, it's kind of it's completely up to you now. You know what I mean? It's completely up to the person that owns the property or um, whatnot to sort of then deal with. As long as we make it clear to them that you know this is our reason for telling you you need to install this. Then, well, my, my thought has become that if it's driven by the regulation, um, and that becomes part of. Your, your hardware test and insurance guys then based on Grenfell, the insurances have all went up. So is it is it a case that the insurance might start to say if you don't have this or it, once this comes up in a recommendation, yeah. you need to do it or we're just not going to insure you. So yeah. it could force companies to have it and it could render them uninsurable. So a lot of these guys... Yeah. Yeah. The... the, the the electricians, the sparks are going to get a lot of hard time saying, well, you've insisted that we do that, and that's yeah. not the case. So you guys are going to have a lot of arguments, I think, moving forward. Absolutely. And education, you say, you know, this is, this is why I'm having to recommend it. Yeah, yeah. I think from a residential perspective, you're going to get people going, why do I have to spend this kind of money? Yeah, uh, that's exactly what it's Yeah, if you can get commercial... And, you know, like, all you've got to do is speak to an employer. All you've got to say is, well, you won't, you know, if, if this place burns down with all these people in, you're liable because yeah. you haven't done as far as is reasonably practicable to protect them. And that's, you know, but, but if the insurance push that and say you have to have it and that's that, 
it'll eliminate a lot, a lot of that. A lot of people complain, a lot of business owners will complain and say, well, you've, you've yeah. cost me a thousand pounds, but if I don't do it, I can't get insured or yeah, my yeah. going to go up high. Yeah, if they make it the bottom line, then there's no choice. Yeah, but surely that's going to bring the potentially the cost of insurance down. If you say, "Look, I've got all these protection devices yeah, yeah, to the insurance, yeah, like a like a black box on on your car," that brings, yeah. but but yeah, without yeah. without the limits, obviously on your on your uh, will, will, it, will it will it bring the insurance down? It might bring the insurance down for a couple of years, and then everyone's got it. Then it becomes the the norm, and then insurance goes back up. God forbid these guys give you any savings. I mean, in the end, it's, it's, it's not. I mean, you've got to think about it as partly, you know, safety, personal safety, not the money side of it. It's, you're actually sort of, you know, you're protecting people, you know, properties against going on fire and whatnot. Yeah. It's, it's not really a monetary thing. It's kind of like a, it's a safety thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if it then brings down the insurance, maybe with the amount of that you're saving, you'll be able to buy the, the, devi the device. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's it's a, it's maybe a good way of convincing someone that this is you know a worthwhile piece of kit getting because you might be saving money here or there. Yeah, you're gonna save the money like on the insurance. So why not? It's not really about the money at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. It's more about the you know the sort of safety of the people that are going to be you know living in the property or the people that are going to be working in the building. Well, it it shouldn't be, Ewan. That's the that's the thing. It shouldn't be about the the, the financial impact. It should be about the safety yeah. of people. But unfortunately, in the world we live in, there's a lot of people that yeah. just don't care. You know. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the reason I say that is because I mean, I think electricians are getting a hard time because you know they like people think that we're just making these things up. Like, oh, you need to get this installed. You know, because obviously I, I want to make a few extra quid, and it's it's actually not the case. You know, it's it's more like we want to leave the best installation, safest installation possible. Uh, and you know, when we recommend that this is the sort of parts and that you need to bring it up to the sort of safest standards, then it's you know it's it's not really about us trying to find you know a wee job for ourselves. It's kind of like we want to leave this property in the safest way possible. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like if, if we were to leave, if we were to work on a building where part of it, are, you know, there, there was part to come down and part to stay up. If the building that was supposed to stay up collapsed two weeks later, we'd be getting asked a lot of questions. Yeah. What we'd done to it, you know, and that's yeah. the same kind of thing. <laughs> if it burns down, then you're, 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 you're the one that's going to Yeah, it burns down a few weeks later because of an arc fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, is there anything else you want to add from the the 18th of the... I kept calling it chapter 18, but then... Yeah, no, you, you said that too much. Well, you were speaking about from chapter 18. Or is it 14? You said 14. Is it chapter 14? Uh, I, yeah. I, that's the chapter my dad worked in. with <laughs> 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 uh, 14, but... Um, not really. I mean, I, I maybe I maybe add a wee bit about the course itself. I mean, I, I just obviously just recently done my update for the 18th edition. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's quite a it's quite a massive amount of information forced on you in one day. Um. So I thought obviously that you obviously do extra select and whatnot. Um. They give you an amazing sort of online package thing that's like it's like basically just you do like a lot of the sort of re revision on your laptop, you know, you go through it all and it's, it's really good. It's like step by step almost. Uh, so I can't recommend to like any electricians or listeners that need to do this update to do that properly, you know, like really look through it, read it as much as you can because on the day of the upgrade, so much information gets forced on you at once. Um, it's, it's like a bombardment, and especially when like, you know, like me, I'm on the tools all the time, so it's like, you know, I'm not an office-based electrician, you know, I don't, have, don't really always have time to sit and, you know, read through my regs book and whatnot, you know, it's, I work obviously a lot on just sort of experience, the sort of understanding and whatnot, but obviously your regs book's always there to help you, but I mean, like I say, on the day of this, um, this 18th edition, like, so much information is just thrown at you at once, and it's hard to keep up with. Uh, but obviously, 
you should get through it as long as you do obviously the sort of pre-revision sheets and stuff that they send you. I mean, which like like I say, are really helpful. You know what I mean? And for those that don't know, what is Select? Select is the sort of governing body for electricians. Um, yeah. And also the NICEIC as well. Which it stands for? National Inspection Council. Of the National Electrical Inspection Council. So what you're saying is, do the, the updates properly, do it through the governing body, study yeah. hard for it. Yeah. I think that's good advice for everybody. Um, yeah, that's all I can say about that. On, on everything, you know, do do with the correct people and just take it seriously. Yeah, definitely. Well, guys, is there anything else you want to add? Anything else you want to touch on, discuss? Uh, if everyone can like and subscribe and just pass it on to pass on the podcast to anyone. If yeah. it would be of relevance. It'll be on, on the Apple Podcasts and on the Spotify. Yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking that, that that electrical information you just give there, now that's useful not only for electricians, but really anybody who's planning on doing any kind of construction work or extension building or building of you know property investment or anything like that, really. Yeah. Because uh, it's, it's, it's an additional cost that they will need to take into account going forward. So it's not just, I would say... It's the mass amount of people, especially these days, that are getting into property investment. Um, it's got to be a, a useful, useful bit of information. It's definitely useful for me because I like to know my regulator, you know, as much about regulations. And electric, electrical is one, not not one of my strongest areas. <laughs> well, yeah. Even for CDM people, you know, yeah, CDM, CDM as well as on, yeah. sharp. Any principal designer needs to be sharp on updates. So, any principal designers out there? You know, they get looking into this. And if not, we can just give you Ewan's phone number. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it, it, th thank you. Is it anything else anyone wants to discuss or add other than like, like and subscribe? Add any questions anybody's got, please fire them across to us and uh, we'll see if we can address them next time. Uh, I think that's it then. I think that's yeah. it at the end, guys. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming. Thanks very much, um, Thank you. Hopefully next time we can do it at the new office. Hopefully next time we can do videos, get on YouTube as well. Um, but at the minute, while we're, we're housebound, we kind of have to do it this way. Uh, but guys, thanks for your time. Matthews, Sean, and Ewan. Thank, thank you. you thank you for having me. Yeah.